Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The following sermon was preached by Percy Trueblood at the annual camp meeting held at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was preached in 1977, and it is titled, The Confession of a Backslider. I trust you will enjoy this stirring message. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on, and on. The text is found in 1 Samuel 26, 21, and chapter 28, and verse 15. I have sinned. Behold, I have played the fool. I am so distressed. God has departed from me and answereth me no more. I don't know how that sounds to you. It sounds sad to me. It is the confession of a backslider. And there are no happy backsliders. They may try to put on a good front, but way down deep on the inside, they're not happy. Saul comes upon the scene, if you remember, in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, and a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly. The first thing we note here, Saul was a choice young man. He was a likable person handsome and noble. He stood head and shoulders above the people. Second, he was a good man. Of course, one can be a good moral man and not be a godly man. Saul was a good man before he was saved. He was honest and upright. He was a man of integrity. Chapter 9, verse 2 there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. That's saying a lot, isn't it? And then in chapter 10 in verse 9, God gave him another heart. I have some Calvinistic friends who tell me that Saul was never saved. They believe in eternal security. Once saved, always saved. One time born, you can't be unborn. So they say Saul was never saved. 
They have to say something, so that's what they say. But chapter 10, verse 9 reads, God gave him another heart. In other words, God gave him a new heart. It must have been a new one, it's another one. He didn't have it before. What do you suppose happens to a man when he gets a new heart? I know what happened to me. I woke up everybody in the building. And this coincides with the prediction of his conversion in chapter 10 and verse 6. And thou shalt be turned into another man. But another heart means another man. New heart means a new man. That's simple theology. Paul calls such a person a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And a new heart means a new nature. Galatians 5, 24, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. All Christians are crucified. You didn't know that. Well, they are, all of them. And all holy sanctified Christians are dead. Dead to sin. In the final analysis, and I know this is a technical point when it comes to theology, but in the final analysis, there is a distinction between crucifixion and death. For instance, Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. He died at 3 p.m. Carnality is nailed to the cross in regeneration and remains there unless you backslide. And carnality dies when you are sanctified holy. I say all Christians are crucified. They are the Christ. All Christians are his. Have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And a new heart means a new life. Another heart, another life. New heart means a new crowd. Another heart means another crowd. The old crowd will drop off. You will break with them and they'll break with you. And then you can say with Paul in Galatians 6 and verse 14, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That's a double crucifixion. I like that kind. Some people wonder if they were to become Christians, how they'd get along with the world. Well, you don't need to worry about that. The world will drop you like the drop hot potatoes. You ever read John 15 and verse 19 where Jesus said, If ye were the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And they'll hate you too, and you get saved. You didn't know that. Well, you try salvation. Now, I may have the detour a little tonight. If I didn't detour, Brother Wilcock, I never could locate some people. You know, a lot of our people are not on the main highway. So I have the detour in order to locate them. So if I get off, you'll understand why. So back to Saul and back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 10. And let us read again. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Wasn't that wonderful? 
and the Spirit of God came upon him. Has the Spirit of God ever come upon you, my friend? I don't care where you may attend church, you're just like anybody else until the Spirit of God comes upon you. Some people seem to think we need money. Oh, if we had money, we could do something for God. It's not money we need. Most everybody makes money. It's not worth much after you make it. One of the cheapest things I know of. And some folks seem to think we need finer churches. Oh, if we had a fine church, we could do something. It's not fine churches we need. If fine churches would solve our problems, it'd all soon be solved. We have fine churches all over the country. We're still building them. I was in a big city church some time ago whose cornerstone was laid back in 1907. They've been working on that church off and on for 70 years. One of the guides told me that they spent $18 million on the church up to date. It would take $17 more million for the extra touches. Beautiful stained glass windows, 300 of them, no two alike in the building. Bishop James Edward Freeman, DDLLDDCI, was pastor at time under consideration. And he wore his coat long, his collar button behind, and you could read his sermons a week before they were preached. <laughs> Brother Dan and I read one, didn't have a safer service. There's some advantage after all in written sermons. Well, the guys seemed to take some delight in showing us through the building, the termination of the two, I said to him, do you ever have any revivals in this church? He said, no. I said, does anybody ever go to the altar and get saved in this church? No. Said I, does any old sister ever come in from the country with a slat bonnet on and shut up down the aisles of this beautiful building? And you know he looked at me like he thought I was from the sticks. And I was from the sticks. I was not used to such churches. But what I'm talking about, friends, $35 million for a church building and no revival. $35 million nobody saved. $35 million, no shouts in Zion. Don't get your heart on fine churches. They'll never solve your problems. And I meet folk now and then who seem to think our ministers need more education. They say knowledge is power. But the power that we need tonight doesn't come from institutions of learning, from colleges, universities, and seminaries. We've tried the A.B.s and A.M.s and B.D.s and Ph.D.s and so on. We never had as many educated ministers as we have in America tonight. I never had as many churchmen with smoking cigarettes and drinking cocktails and highballs and living in lust on the way to hell as we have tonight. God's plan to reach a lost world, my friend, is not money in fine churches nor intellect and brains. God has only one plan, and that's Holy Ghost fire. John 16, 8, when he has come, not money, not fine churches, not intellect and brains, but when the Holy Ghost has come, he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, we need the live coal off the altar. A live coal is not a dead coal. It's red. It's hot. 
it burns. And the Spirit of God came upon him. That's the way it reads. And then in the same chapter, same verse, he prophesied among them. And in chapter 10, verse 12, it became a proverb that Saul was among the prophets. Now let's sum up and then go on. First, God gave him another heart. Second, he was turned into another man. Third, the Spirit of God came upon him. Fourth, he prophesied among them. But he was never saved, they say. I should love to see someone save them, wouldn't you? <laughs> Look at the coronation in chapter 10, verses 21, 2, 3, and 4. And when they sought him, he could not be found. The old seer had to hold a special prayer service to discover his whereabouts. And those old prophets had a way of finding out things back in their day. I would we knew more about the secret. While he was praying, he heard someone say, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And the prophet drew near and said to all the people, See him whom the Lord hath chosen? I didn't choose him. God chose him. He's not my choice. He's God's choice. There is none like him among all the people. That is, he's the best man in the kingdom. And I wouldn't expect God to choose otherwise. All the people shouted and said, God saved the king. At this time, Saul was little in his own sight. Wasn't that wonderful? Little in his own sight, and God made him big. The reason some people are never big, they're never little. The way up is down. I say the way up is down. Down and up, not up and down. Saul was little in his own sight. God made him big, but his success ascended to his head. There's not many people who can stand very much success. That They get the big head. I've seen a lot of folk, including ministers, who, who had the big head. And among them, not a few holding his preachers. Now, how they construct. Well, Saul became popular. He got the big head, got his eyes off God and on people and on circumstances and did a very foolish thing. He read it. He presumed to offer sacrifice in the absence of the prophet. He irreverently took the place of the priest at the altar. He became too familiar and played too fast and too loose with divine things. He sinned. And by that one act, he forfeited the kingdom of Israel. He rejected God, and God rejected him. That was Saul's first outward break with God, not his first inward break. A lot of people don't understand this backsliding business. It's a big business, but they don't seem to understand it. We don't commit sin and backslide, brother, sister. We backslide and commit sin. This was Saul's first outward break. But even then he received orders from God to slay utterly. And did you know that every gospel minister is called to slay utterly? It takes a backbone to stand where I'm standing tonight. This is no place for a jellyfish. We're commissioned to slay utterly. 
You say, what does that mean? It means to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It means to declare the whole counsel of God without fear, favor, or compromise. It means to take our stand against sin first, last, and all the time. Look at chapter 15, verse 3. Go and smite Amalek and destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. What a commission. Did he do it? No. Why? Gotten his eyes off God and on people and on things and disobeyed. He spared Agag and the best of the flock. And then he tried to cover his sin with religion. That's what some of you people have been trying to do, and cover your sin with religion. Well, he even tried to fool the prophet. But you can't fool people who pray all night. You know, the, the Syrians spent the night in prayer. He had the king's number. You can fool some people, but uh, men who pray all night are not easy to fool. He couldn't fool the prophet. You remember he said to the prophet, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Such hypocrisy. And uh, the old seer said, What about these oxen? <laughs> I hear these sheep. You say one thing, but they testify to the contrary. Isn't that what we have going on in our churches all over America? We say one thing with our lips and we deny it with our lives. And when he discovered he couldn't fool the prophet, he tried to put the blame on the people. And that's the way it is with a backslider, all the time trying to blame somebody else. But finally he confessed in verse 24, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy word because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I know a lot of folk all over this country, including ministers, who fear the people. But my Bible says, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God, not the people. Keep his commandments, not the people's. And Jesus says in, in Matthew 10, 28, fear not them who kill the body, but not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You can't please the people and please God, my friend. You can't run the world of people and obey carnal people and go with God. Saul feared the people. He listened to the people. He obeyed the people. And what next? Chapter 16 and verse 14, and it causes chills to come over me. I confess to you I don't like to read it. But it's in the book, and here it is. And the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You read anything more sad than that? I think that's one of the saddest statements in all the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He played with the Holy Ghost one time too many. You can do that too. He got his eyes off God, on people, on things on things and leaked out in his soul. No one loses God all at once. Men don't go out and get drunk and commit adultery and murder and theft. We don't backslide that way. You know how we backslide? Begins with a lot of little things. A lot of little things. We let up in our devotion. 
in our Bible reading, in our prayer life. And then we begin to talk about others and criticize others and scatter evil surmises. And after a while, our sin gets out. It'll get out sooner or later, my friend. Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Did you hear that awful thing that brother so-and-so did or sister so-and-so? Yes, I heard it, but began way back there with a lot of little things. It's these little things that destroy our power with God. Little things. I think that little no-harm sin, you've heard about it, that little no-harm sin, I think it's done more injury to the Christian church than other sin in the universe. No harm to do this, no harm to do that, and after a while there's no harm to do anything. But that's the way you leak out, where you lose God, where you grieve away the Spirit, is the way Saul did it, it's the way we do it. Huey Harding was out on the street one morning early, before daylight. He's a Nazarene evangelist. He heard a man cry, paper, morning news, paper. And Brother Harding said to himself, uh, that voice sounds familiar to me, paper, morning news, paper. And he stepped over beside the man and purchased a paper. And he saw that his toes were out of his shoes, elbows out of his old blue jumper. He had on old greasy hat and a blue shirt. And Brother Harding said, Man, I know you. The old man selling papers said, I know you too. And he pulled away from Brother Harding and began to cry. And Brother Harding followed him and said, Man, what brought you to this awful poverty? Would you like to know who that was selling papers? That was a minister of the gospel. When U.E. Harding was ordained, that was one of the preachers who placed his hand on Brother Harding's head and prayed a prayer. And Brother Harding said, when I heard him pray that prayer, I said, oh God, if you'll give me half the power that this man possesses, I'll be a happy man. And I was out on the street corner before daylight with his toes out of his shoes, elbows out of his old blue jumper, with an old greasy hat selling papers for a living. What brought you to this awful poverty, questioned Brother Harding. Nothing much, said the old man, just a lot of little things. Just a lot of little things. You better look out for those little things, my friend. Solomon says the small foxes spoil the vines, and if you're not careful, they'll spoil yours. Yes, the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. The Holy Spirit forsook him, and the evil spirit took possession of him. And that's the way it works. That's found in chapter 10 and verse 10. But look at the next clause. And he prophesied in the midst of the house. What a statement. And he prophesied in the midst of the house. Think of a man after having crossed the deadline, still prophesying. 
after having sinned away his day of grace, still preaching, still religious, still sits on the official board and teaches a Sunday school class and tries to run the house of God. We've got them all over the country. We have them all over the country. Yes, Saul got his eyes off God, on people and on things, leaked out in his soul, and the evil spirit came upon him. And listen, he became envious. He got it in for David, one of God's servants. Uh, David came in one day from the battlefield, if you remember, and the women came out singing and saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. Saul didn't like it. I know a lot of folk who don't like that kind of preaching. This saying displeased him. He was very wroth, and he said, What can he do more? What can he have more but the kingdom? In chapter 18, verse 9, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. He was afraid David was going to get his job. You ever see anybody in the church who seemed to be anxious about his job, afraid somebody might get his job? Well, sanctified people are not seeking offices and jobs. Spirit-filled people only want God's will and God's job. But here's a backslider who's anxious about his job. He's afraid somebody's going to get his job, and he keeps his eye on David. Look at chapter 18 again, verses 10 and 11. And David played with his hand as at other times. And Saul cast a spear at him in substance and said, I'll get him. I'll smite him even to the wall. But you'll have an awful job getting God's man. I say, you'll have an awful job getting God's man. Saul tried it again and again, but he never got him. Listen. Are you listening? You better keep your hand your tongue too off God's anointed. The captain of our salvation holds the keys of death and hell. Revelation 1.18, but back to 1 Samuel 18 and verse 14. I like the way it reads, but David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Isn't that wonderful, Brother Downing? That's the thing that counts. I think I'm going to preach on that sometime. But David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the margin says he prospered. And back to the text. And the Lord was with him. And the next verse, and he, that is Saul, was afraid of David. I'm talking about a man who one time had a new heart, once had the Spirit of God, one time among the prophets, and he's throwing knives at God's anointed. You've heard people say, well, if I were to lose God, I wouldn't do this, that, or the other. They don't know what they would do if they were to lose God. I read, I read in my Bible in 2 Peter 2, verses 20 to 22, better not to have known the way of righteousness and after you've known it, to turn from the holy commandment. You say, Mr. True Blood, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. You're in a dangerous and sad condition, my friend. Are you listening? If you're not as close to God tonight as you used to be, you're in a dangerous and sad condition. But you say, I wouldn't throw knives at anybody. 
Listen, the knife that most people use to kill folk is that little knife, the tongue. That's the knife that has pierced more hearts, wounded more spirits, murdered more souls, separated more husbands and wives, and split more churches than an instrument known to mankind. A woman said to Bud Robinson one day, Uncle Bud, I just can't keep my religion. Uncle Bud said, Sister, you keep your mouth open too much. And that's why so many people leak out. They keep their mouths open too much. Now, I know James says the tongues on rule Eve are full of deadly poison set on fire of hell and no man can tame it, but he didn't say God can't tame it. God can tame your tongue and does when he tames your heart. Your tongue has a long root that reaches down about the fifth rib. Your trouble is heart trouble. That's disease number one in America. You give a person a pure heart, it'll have a pure tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Men and women with pure hearts never throw knives at anybody. Once had the Spirit of God, once among the prophets. He's throwing knives at God's anointed. And listen, his enemies are around the corner. The Philistines are after him, and he's in trouble. And upon whom does he call? Upon whom do we call when we get in trouble? When sorrows come, when heartaches come, when death comes, upon whom do we call? We call on God, don't we? But I'm talking about a man tonight who's in trouble, and he has no God on whom to call. Listen to his own confession. God is gone. The Lord has departed. I'm so distressed. I can't get my prayers through. I pray, but I can't pray through. I wonder how long it's been since you prayed through, some of you people. Don't take too much for granted, brother, sister. Don't throw away your confidence, but don't take too much for granted. We only passed this way one time. We're not coming back to do anything over. I wonder, I say, how long it's been since you prayed through. Saul says, I pray, but I can't pray through. God answers me no more. He says, I played the fool. I played fast and loose with God. I have sinned. I've lied to God. I have made God vows, and I've broken those vows. I have rejected God, and God has rejected me. Thus he lived, and so he died, a rejected man. His last night on this earth was spent with a witch, and his last act was a commission of suicide. I may be talking to somebody tonight who once had a new heart, once had the Spirit of God. One time you enjoyed divine favor and divine honor, but you began to drift a little here and a little there. You went deeper and still deeper in spite of all the Lord could do. You got your eyes off God and on people and on things. And you've leaked out in your soul. You still linger around. You still go to church and come to camp meetings. But God's gone. You pray, but you never pray through. You pray, but you never hear from heaven. There was a time that you loved to read this old book, remember? And now it's so-called true stories and religious fiction. And laid his home journal. See, there was a time you had a burden for lost men and women, but that's all past and gone. 
Some backsliders get back to God, but many never get back. Don't let the Calvinistic preachers fool you. Many never get back. Some are handed over to Satan. Some are given up to believe a lie. And some are the hand of other people. Some are their own hand like Saul. In their wretched existence, break the crust of time, plunge headlong into eternity without God and without hope. Saul got his eyes off God, on people, on things, leaked out in his soul, sinned away his day of grace, and lived for more than 30 years across the deadline, able to drink, able to sleep, but I don't see how he did it. He was a backslider, let alone Spirit of God withdrawn, never to bother him again. But listen, friends, Saul's not the only man who ever sinned and played the fool and leaked out in his soul. It's all over Cincinnati tonight, and right here at God's Bible School tonight. Did you think I'm talking empty seats? I never preached empty benches. God never gives me a sermon with empty benches. I don't like to talk about this. I say Saul's not the only man who ever sinned and played the fool and leaked out his soul all over your city right here in this auditorium tonight. You've gotten your eyes off God, on people, on things, and you've leaked out. Not where you used to be. You don't pray like you did. You don't read your Bible as you did. You don't have a burden for souls as you once had. Profess everything in the book. But someday it's going to be too late to do anything about it. Better hurry and do something. Don't do like Saul did, wait too long. I think there was a time that Saul could have gotten back to God, but he didn't. So there came a time that he couldn't. No doubt a lot of you people could get to God tonight if you would. If you would. But if you don't, if you don't, there may come a time that you can't. God help us to be honest. I would that we all had Judgment Day honesty. That's what we need, Judgment Day honesty. We'll have it sometime. I would we had it tonight. And you'd be down here on both knees at this old mourner's bench talking to Jesus, trying to get some things straightened out. Will you bow your heads a moment? Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. i mm-hmm.